1: Welcome back, guys, to season three, episode four of Aggie Hoops Weekly. We're going to talk about the nice, if not exceedingly difficult, win over Louisiana Monroe to start the week. And then we're going to talk about the Gonzaga Bulldogs rolling through town to absolutely crush us to close the week. We're going to talk about them both long term program implications, upcoming schedule. We're going to hit it all. Let's roll.
0: Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. This is episode four of the 2019-2020 season, and we are going to be talking about the Aggies' win over Louisiana Monroe and a loss, a very lopsided loss to Gonzaga today. Uh, David, kind of start with the the overarching themes. A one-in-one week here. What do you think about this one coming in?
1: I think we've got some things to work through, which is a kind way of putting it, after a one-on-one week that could have easily been an 0-2 week, we kind of had to steer out of the skid and barely, you know, come back, I would say, in the last eight minutes of that Louisiana-Monroe game, we finally turned that around, and then really played a game against Gonzaga, the number eight team in the country, that was a lost cause from the jump, so... We've got some things to sort out, Blake, and there's not a ton of time to do it. If you look at our schedule after this game against Troy on Wednesday night, things get real in a hurry. We have, a, I would say, probably four or five games in a row against quality opposition at, at that point. So we've got some things to sort out. We're kind of running out of time, so I'm a little nervous. Let's just let's leave it at that.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's certainly some cause for trepidation there, but at the same time, I think we'll, we'll talk through more of this at the end of, of this episode, but... We knew this was going to happen, right? We we knew that this is what we were going to face. So Monday night, the Aggies took on Louisiana Monroe at Reed Arena. Uh this game started off pretty decent for AM. They they looked okay. Uh a bit more of a struggle against Monroe than I think I had anticipated this team having, but the Aggies got out to a to a decent lead, seven uh seven point lead within the first six minutes of the half you felt good. Okay, this is this is going to according to plan. And then over the course of about the next 4 minutes, Louisiana Monroe kind of tightens things back up, gets it back to a tied game. It was back and forth for probably the next 3 or 4 minutes. And then let's call it the last 6 minutes of the half, Louisiana Monroe goes on an 11 to 3 run to close out the half up 8 22 to 30. It was it was one of those uh-oh moments. I think that Those of us who were watching the game kind of said, oh, this is not good. This is not good at all. Now, one of the things that you'll notice in this first half, there was no appearance by Josh Nebo. Uh, TJ Starks was also uh, out with his injury. We still haven't seen Cassius McNeely either. So there was, you know, you felt like this team was a bit shorthanded, but this is Louisiana Monroe. You should have had things well in control by halftime. Uh, so the Aggies open up second half, and it seemed like more of the same. The team just really couldn't find its rhythm. And uh, at this point, it was um, early in the second half, probably about, maybe let's call it two and a half, three minutes into the half, Buzz Williams brings in Josh Nebo. And at this point, a was actually down, or had been down by as much as 10. J.J. Chandler, the, the mere appearance of Josh Nebo on the floor Cued JJ. Chandler to another level, and he he goes on a great run. He hits draws a draws a a foul, picks up a couple of free throws, then knocks down a three pointer, then knocks down another three pointer. So there was a quick eight points and three possessions for JJ. and a cut the lead down to four. From there, he hits another couple of free throws, cuts it to two, and a and back in the game. And at this point, there wasn't really anything that Nebo did, but I think you you could feel the team's spirits rise. There's a, there's a certain comfort to having a guy on the back line that can cover you, and and knowing that you have that presence inside draws a lot of attention and opens things up for guys on the perimeter. From there, the Aggies started to pull away. They, they did have to kind of fight their way back through this, through the middle of the half. Uh, Monroe kind of picked up and— and had uh, got the lead back up to about five, six, seven points. But A over the course of the final ten minutes, asserted themselves and ended up with a six-point lead, sixty-three to fifty-seven. All in all, a decent win for the Aggies. I think it was what happened after the game that that told the story more. Uh, about all of this than than anything. So for those of you who are active on Twitter, you've probably seen this, the, the the video of Buzz Williams comments in the in the postgame press conference were phenomenal. It was it was one of those moments where it was like, yeah, this is the, this is our guy. This is why we went and got him. Uh, buzz basically was asked you know it was a light turnout there wasn't there weren't a whole lot of students at the game there weren't a whole lot of fans at the game period and he was asked by a reporter do you feel like you need to do more to promote the team promote the program and and buzz went on about a six minute spiel about you know his his position on how you sell the program and his his point was Beating these teams is, is hard enough, and we've talked about this, right? There is a lot of parity in college basketball today, and, and that was his point, right? Being Getting a team prepared for the game is is enough work as it is, much less trying to go and hype people up. Now, I, I understand that perspective, and his his point is if you start winning, if you do things the right way, people are going to show up. You don't worry about people not showing up in the first five games of the season. You worry about people not showing up in year two, year three, year four. Uh, All in all, I think it was one of those things that really energized those of us who have been following this program and who felt like things had been in in kind of a malaise over the last few years. But I I, I wanted to get your take on the game and then Buzz's comments
1: afterwards. I'll hit the comments first. So the comments were incredible and we'll link them we'll actually we'll include them in the Gbh post accompanying this pod because you guys need to listen to this it's six and a half minutes of just raw unfiltered it's not really a sanitized rant or to call it a rant is not really gen, uh, genuine it's not a sanitized response to a question it says raw unfiltered thoughts on the question, what do you do when small crowds come out to the first two games, of a program that really should be a little more rejuvenated than that. And he gives a really detailed, nuanced, thoughtful response. We'll link it. It's it's definitely worth listening to. Um, and it's especially refreshing to see in the context of the absolute duds we've been getting at the press conference mic for the past eight years. That's probably the thing that's going to jump off the screen at you guys. It's just having a really engaging, interesting guy up there at the mic. That's just, just the comparator. Is, is, you almost can't even tell Uh, take it in compared to the type of thing we used to see at post game press conferences so we'll include it definitely worth listening to but in regards to the game the part that jumped out at me Blake is that we've lost games like this in the past I mean it's not really the metaphor of like oh this is the kind of game you can lose if you're not careful we lost two of these last year we lost to UC Irvine in the second game of the year and then we lost to Texas Southern both games where I feel like we approached a similar decision point not decision point but a similar a similar part where maybe 10-12 minutes left where we were down still against UC Irvine we kept it close but we still ended up losing and then in last year against Texas Southern southern at that same point the wheels just fell off we ended up losing the texas southern by 15 and so it was nice to see just one year later to see us approach that exact same scenario and then to turn it around and to to play much better ball for the last 10 12 minutes and to to pull the game out the second point that i want to echo i want to echo what you said exactly one bid conferences can ball now i mean These teams in in these home buy-in games, they bite their host more often than I think people really realize. Just look no further than Evansville walking into freaking Rep Arena and knocking off number one Kentucky just a handful of days ago. So these things happen. Uh, Every team has between six and eight of these home buy-in games, and you will get tested in at least a couple of them. And when that happens, you have to make sure you're ready to play that day. So we were job done with the W. And there was no other basketball played that week, right? We have nothing else to discuss. Good pot. show over.
0: <laughs> show over, yeah. Good win. We're done. Uh, no, I will before we before we leave this one behind. I will say, uh, Michael Ertel, the the uh, guard for Louisiana Louisiana Monroe, was phenomenal. That kid was outstanding. He had twenty five points, uh, nine rebounds, and he 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 looked like a smaller guard. I don't know how big he was. But for that guy to come up with nine boards, he was actually their leading rebounder and their leading scorer. Also added uh, a couple of steals, three assists. I mean, he was great. I was really impressed. I don't know how that kid is not at a, a bigger school playing a start. He could walk in and play a starting role at AM right now. So I was very impressed with his quality. All right. So with that being said, let's jump into the the second matchup of, of this week and a throttling at home against the Gonzaga Bulldogs.
1: It, it was a throttling. But before we get to the throttling, which it was, we're going to start with the opening nine minutes, because I have to say we, we really did come out punching. Uh, there was a good crowd announced a shade over 10 grand, which is a really, really nice draw for a November game regardless of the opponent uh, and we came out and we played well we fed off the energy we were flying around on defense we were rotating really well we drew some charges Gonzaga was still getting some decent looks they weren't knocking him down we were rebounding well and we were getting just enough done on offense to keep things close And I think Blake, we had a 14 11 lead is what I have here with a shade under 12 minutes remaining. And I made a joke on Twitter at that point about how it felt like a sugar crash was coming because we just had that like hyper toddler type energy of, you know, associated with a big big game at home uh, where you're a big underdog and don't really have much to lose. We kind of looked like that and I saw that crash coming. Uh, As someone who just took a four-year-old to Disney World uh, uh, in the last four days, I'm quite familiar with what a sugar crash looks like, and we (laughs) crashed hard. We crashed so hard because uh, Gonzaga closed the half with a 29-5 to run, and to call it a run is almost like a run implies that we were like sliced across the arm and we eventually stopped the bleeding. They basically slit our throats and let us bleed out for the for the last 12 minutes of the first half. Uh, the only reason it was 29 to 5 and not 29 to 3 is that we actually hit a couple of free throws with time essentially expired at the end of the first half. So they just I mean, they murdered us and left us for dead in a ditch to to close the first half. Like it was one of the most dominating stretches of basketball i've seen executed against us at reed arena maybe that i've ever seen we'll have to talk about that where that kind of falls in the pantheon of like truly awful stretches of a&m basketball but we had six turnovers we were one for 17 from the field we couldn't block out gonzaga got open threes at will i mean pick your poison right you can't even pick one reason why things went so badly we just we were just blown off the floor there's no other way to put it and in the second half you know, Gonzaga did what good teams do. We we hung around, that is to say, we kept the deficit around 15 to 20, but they didn't allow it to get any closer than that. They actually put together a little 10-0 spurt. This actually was a run. It was not an extended mauling, a nice little quick run that extended the lead from 20 to 30. At that point, I think it was 62-32 Gonzaga with whatever minutes remaining, 8, 10, 12, didn't really matter at that point. We had fans headed for the exits. So, yeah, the rest of it didn't really matter. It played out the string. Final score, 79-49. How do you feel about that one, man? I I really struggle. Uh, I, I put in my final recap, I was of two minds. Obviously, things weren't going to be fixed yet, but I did expect it to be a little bit better than this. So where do you fall in that decision?
0: I wish I could say I expected it to be better than this.
1: Uh, for those of you who, who may or may
0: not recall, AM went to Gonzaga last year and lost by a score of 94-71. to so a 23 point loss on the road, losing by 30 at home was was a tough one. I saw it going marginally better. I expected a 20 to 25 point loss in all honesty. This is the number 8 team in the country and they're solid, right? They're these guys are good. I, I expected AM to to struggle. The, the struggles that you've seen from this team early on against lesser competition were I think were indicative of of where this team is at right now. In this sense I think you have to you have to be realistic about what you saw, right? A you saw a really good team dominate AM, and you saw AM at least manage the game, right? From the sense that you could have just packed it in and, and called it good and it could have been a 50-point route. AM kept it reasonably close in the second half to only be to only have a nine-point deficit in the second half to be outscored 39 to 30. After only putting up 19 in the first half, the fact that you got 30 in the second, hey, that good. This is this is progress. This team is growing. This is one of those learning experiences for the young guys. They're going to have to go through these these lumps and these bruises, and at at some point, they'll come around and they'll figure things
1: out. So I think I think Blake, that's a that's a good way to wrap up the actual action on the floor part of the discussion. But there is a larger discussion to have as well, which is where does this result stand relative to what people were expecting? Um, Obviously. Or I say, obviously, we'll we'll, we'll get into it. It feels like we shouldn't have had expectations to to win this game. But I did see things on social media. It seems like there there were different takes about this game, right? Some people were saying, like, this is totally fine. This is the first early step in a very long process. Don't worry about it. There were others saying, "Yeah, but still, this was a little a little much." So I'm gonna let you know how I feel, uh, and then I want to get your take. I tend to side at least slightly with the people who were expecting a little more that night. Now I'm not saying we should have won, but I did think that the way it played out to effectively not have the game matter beyond the opening nine minutes—that's a bit much. I mean, if you go, if you take a look at Gonzaga's other results, they did end up beating—they've beaten everybody by by double digits this year. But our effort. Against Gonzaga doesn't really track that well, even compared to some of the lighter teams that they've played. I would have expected us to at least put a bit more, you know, of a roadblock in their way as the first P5 team they've faced this year. I'm interested to see how how the rest of the non-conference schedule runs. Um, What I fear might happen is I think we might end up looking like by far the weakest P5 effort against them. So while I do agree, this is obviously you know not an indictment on the Buzz Williams process. I think it might be a little fair to have asked for a little more that night. Where do you fall?
0: Yeah, I I think it's completely fair to ask for more. But I think that you, you struggled to beat Louisiana Monroe by six. You, you only posted a 14-point win over Northwestern State, who is admittedly not great at competition. And I know we were just talking about the parody of college basketball, but if you want to be a team that has a shot at knocking off Gonzaga, you've got to show it against the lesser opponents and put them away early and often, right? And we haven't shown an ability to do that. I think the thing that concerns me is the consistency or the lack thereof from your experienced players, Let's talk Savion Flag. He had 4 points against Monroe and 6 points against Gonzaga. 10 points in the last 2 games from your your team's supposed best player. Yeah, and I won't take that it. mantle. Yeah. I won't take that mantle from him. It's a bad stretch. Does this mean he's not a great player? No, but that's not going to cut it. That that's not going to work. Now, Chuck Mitchell looked great against Gonzaga when he got into the flow of the game. This is actually the best that we've seen from Chuck this year. I was really pleased with his performance. It was great to see Nebo out there. He he looked good. Andre Gordon had his moments over the last week where you felt like, "Okay, this kid's turning the corner." Yeah, uh, great Quentin week. Quentin Jackson. Yeah, he had a great week. Quentin Jackson struggled against Gonzaga. That was surprising. I was expecting more from Quentin in this one. He he only had 16 minutes, so I don't know. Kind of, I don't know if it was just his performance or what fed into that. I just he he didn't log a lot of minutes, didn't ever really look like he he was settled in. Yeah, I I think it's interesting the lack of consistency that you're seeing from the from this group right now. Your your leading scorer one night will be back of the pack the next. So I I think that. This is, in that regard, this is all very much expected. Uh, I am those who are ready to jump off the buzz bandwagon. I, I, I urge you not to. This is this is exactly what I think you and I discussed in in the prior episode, where we said this team is not going to contend for. Any type of postseason berth in in our minds, right? An NIT bid is is somewhat of a long shot. So yes, I I think we wanted a better showing against Gonzaga, but I'm not surprised that this early into Buzz's tenure you didn't get it. What's the biggest thing that we struggled with last year? Lack of shooting, right? You could just couldn't shoot, in, inability to shoot the ball well. What did you see in this game against Gonzaga? An inability to shoot the ball well. The the Aggies shot uh 15% from 3 they were 3 of 20 from behind the arc and they were at 30.4% from the floor looks looks really familiar and at some point you are what you are right this team has not been constructed to shoot the ball right and and a lot and a lot of that is the legacy a lot of that is the returning players so as as a program this this program had not done a great job over the last few years of going to get good shooters So I think we're going to have to develop guys and go find those talented shooters who can, who can put the
1: ball in the hole. This is why the next, I was about to say the next month. That's why the the rest of 2019 is so important because it could very well be that Gonzaga is the best team we play all year in that it's not a relevant data point to actually assess how things are going. But in the, uh, in, in the, between now and the end of 2019, we play some games that are pretty close to a coin flip that are going to be really, really interesting to track. I'm talking about Harvard, Texas, Oregon State there's a likelihood that we play somewhere someone in the temple USC space in that third game or temple or Maryland in that second game uh, in Orlando and maybe someone like USC in the third game we're going to have between three and five games that the advanced analytics and uh, and the lines would suggest should be within a few points those are that's where I think we're going to actually see progress because we really don't have that many buy-in games left if you look I mean, we only have, I would say, three left. We have Troy, a Corpus, and Texas Southern. So we have those three. We have the games I referenced, and then it's game time. So that's why, and I think now we can transition to talking about Troy, because Troy is really our last shot to get things right, to sort out our rotation, our proposed starting five, our substitution pattern. Where are we going to stick to this cover two defense we talked about last week where we're always flying out high and trying to challenge people at the three-point line those decisions need to happen pretty quickly and Troy's our last chance to get a, 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 this in a comfortable in a comfortable home environment against somebody that we should handle with ease
0: yeah you're exactly right Troy is Troy is your last real tune-up that you have before you get to some serious competition you know you look at where Troy is right now they're 0-3 they've lost to UAB uh, Chattanooga and Indiana this is this is a team you should handle this is a team that, that shouldn't give you many troubles. I think that's what you want to see, right? You want to see A&M come in, dominate, control the game, start to finish. You're at home. You need to be shooting the ball well. You need to have a good rotation. But at the same time, there are now questions around what your rotation looks like.
1: There are, and I'm not really sure what the answer is there. I would suggest that based on the last week, Gordon has played his way into the starting lineup. I would also suggest that Quentin Jackson has played his way out of the starting lineup with his effort against Gonzaga. Perhaps we've landed on our eight. It looks like Yeezy and Mark French still get a handful of minutes. But for the most part, it looks like we've got our eight pretty well sorted. I don't know. I just want to see... At something a slightly more convincing against Troy, something to ease the mind heading into the tournament in Orlando, the game against Texas, the game against Oregon State. You know, the the, the games that are going to be a little tighter where I would suggest that if any of those, if we were to get completely blown out of the gym, that would be a slightly more concerning than the fact that it happened against what is a consensus top 10 team in the country.
0: And you're absolutely right. And I think that this is all complicated by the fact that you have now lost TJ Starks for an indeterminate period of time uh for those who aren't aware and i'm sure that's very very few of you at this point uh, tj was arrested for possession of marijuana uh on i believe thursday so uh, he was it was announced that he was he has been suspended indefinitely and we don't really have a picture of what that looks like for him to return to the program at this point
1: we don't, and I'm going to echo my thoughts, Blake, that I delivered shortly after the uh, the exhibition game. He didn't look right. He didn't look comfortable on the floor, and that was something that jumped off the court to everyone who was in attendance that night. The other returning guys generally looked like they had found their spot in the new offense and the new regime. He looked lost. He looked lost running the point with the second unit. He looked lost with the first unit when we had him inexplicably standing in the corner shooting threes, which I can't think of many things he's less suited to do than to act as a you know P.J. Tucker-esque you know, 3 and D guy but he just looked like he didn't have a home. He ended up getting hurt with about 10 to 12 minutes left in in that game. And where we we were sitting for the exhibition game. We were sitting right above the home tunnel and he limped off and he went, he went down the tunnel and he just looked frustrated and I couldn't help but wonder, is that the last time I'm going to see him in an A&M uniform? It just felt things looked so disjointed that night that I just had that nagging thought as I saw him walking out. I don't know if that's the case. That might be a little too dramatic, but This is not a situation for the listeners. This is not a situation where this guy is home and comfortable and has a role and just made a bad mistake. It was a bad mistake in combination with the fact that he doesn't really have anywhere to land in this program right now. There doesn't appear to be a clear spot for him. I don't know what that means in terms of how quickly he can come back or whether he will want to come back, but I just wonder, Blake, I wonder if we're going to see him on the court again.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, there is a a certain possibility that we may not see TJ Starks in the maroon and white anymore. I hope that's not the case, but you have to remember, he spent a pretty decent amount of time last year in Billy Kennedy's doghouse for for things that we, we still don't know if they were – basketball related or not you know how there's just some times where it it just doesn't quite work out for a guy you see the you see the potential you see the flash and you're like okay when this guy figures it out he's going to be great and then it just never quite works out for him whatever the circumstances are i'm starting to wonder if that's going to be the tj stark story in this case
1: i just wonder the same thing but i i have no doubt that if that's where it goes he will kill it wherever he goes next. But let's not get that far ahead of ourselves yet. I do think there's a chance that this blows over in the next two or three weeks. Obviously, he's immensely talented. People forget he was, for large stretches, the best player on the floor in our win over North Carolina, that 20-point win in the second round. He's got that ceiling that's worth trying to hold on to. I don't know. I, I, I still wonder how it's going to play out. But it, it's certainly it's it's worth giving him one more shot.
0: I think so. I hope, I hope he has the patience to stick around and, and try to make it work because I, I think he's immensely talented, but you know, I, I can understand the certain level of frustration on his part as well. So with that being said, the Aggies take on Troy Wednesday night, everybody get to read arena seven o'clock for the team and uh, looking forward to seeing what, what, what kind of performance we turn in on this one.
1: Sounds good, Blake. And then in our next episode, we'll recap that game and we'll talk about the upcoming Orlando Invitational we opened with a game against harvard on thanksgiving so if your family's awkward political conversation gets too weird you can find a sweet sweet release in the home of aggie basketball we're going to play thursday friday sunday that weekend and looking forward to those games blake because i think we're going to learn a lot about our team that weekend
0: yep should be fun have a nice little break there get a little bit of a week off for the team to rest get their legs underneath them and then get some thanksgiving basketball so it should be a lot of fun
1: sounds good to me talk to you soon buddy all right